Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey, good morning, Every Nation New Jersey. God bless you. PA here, Pastor Adam Burden. I'm so excited that you would spend your Sunday morning here with us at Every Nation New Jersey. And if you've been tracking with us, we're actually in a series we've just called The Songs of Christmas. And it's we're taking well-known Christmas carols and, and we're kind of unpacking them a bit, trying, kind of just seeing some of the depth uh, behind them all. And, and today we're going to look at one of my favorites. Um, it's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was written by a man by the name of Charles Wesley, and then it was later tweaked by a man by the name of George Whitfield. And um, I'm guessing there's not many of you that, that woke up this morning and were like, hark! Uh, if you did, you might, you're probably a little bit pretentious, right? But um, hark, it, it simply means, listen, pay attention. And the reason the angels cry out hark is because they're highlighting a very, very important moment uh, in, in the life of humanity. And that is the birth of God's one and only son. Like, um, uh, let me share the story of, of Charles L'Enfant. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he was actually, uh, he was uh, brilliant slash arrogant. And he was a, a architect and a designer of cities. And uh, literally our first president, George Washington, tasked L'Enfant to build the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. And as LaFont was laying out the Capitol grid and he was walking down New Jersey Avenue, he noticed that there was a home that was blocking the way of his beautiful design for his city. And that home belonged to Daniel and Ann Carroll. And they also had a one-year-old infant daughter. And, and L'Enfant was incensed, and he's like, "You need to. We're going to tear this home down because it's getting in the way of my design." And the, the people were like, "Please, please don't do it." But yet, L'Enfant went ahead and he tore down these poor people's home. Um, uh, well, George Washington got wind of what L'Enfant had done, and he immediately fired L'Enfant. And um, from that moment on, it started this downward spiral, uh, years and years, a, a depression, and, and L'Enfant began to drink heavily, and then he, he uh, 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 neared bankruptcy. And he actually wrote a letter to Congress, and he was saying uh, how he was just, he no longer wanted to live. Well, well listen, there was a, a, a beautiful young couple by the name of uh, Thomas and Eleanor Diggs. They had heard L'Enfant had gone on hard times, and they, they wrote L'Enfant, and they said, Mr. L'Enfant, we will care for you. We have a beautiful home in Maryland, and, and we will provide housing for you, food, and we will care for you all your days. L'Enfant, he took them up on their offer, and, um, uh, but, and they cared for L'Enfant until he eventually passed away. But here's kind of the backstory. Uh, do you know that Thomas and Eleanor Diggs, that Eleanor uh, was actually, uh, her, her maiden name was Eleanor Carroll. She was the one-year-old infant daughter of Daniel and Ann Carroll. See, that baby, the home that you destroyed, destroyed L'Enfant, was going to eventually save your very life. And isn't that our story? That, that this baby, born in Bethlehem, uh, while he, he looked small and insignificant, he was going to be the absolute savior of the world. Hark, the herald angels sing. And so um, our, our uh, talk today, we, we basically got four points. I know I'm, I'm breaking the rules. Pastors, we're only supposed to have three points, but you're getting four today, all right? Merry Christmas. And here's our four points today. Um, uh, I want you to know this, that number one, uh, hark, he is able. Number two, hark, he is humble. Number three, hark, he is mighty. 
And number four, hark, he's saving. And so that's where we're headed here today. And so let's look at this. Number one, hark, he is able. Would you, would you look with me at Luke chapter two? And we're going to read verses one through five. And uh, Luke says this, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all, um, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And so um, here, here's our first point. It's like, hark, he's able. He's able. And um, if it's okay, this first point, I, I really want to speak prophetically uh, to, to you this morning. And um, do you know that the life of Jesus, it fulfills well over 300 prophecies. Uh, for the record, uh, like, like the odds of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies is, get this, one in 10 to the 16th power. So that's one in 10 with, uh, to, with uh, 10 with 16 zeros behind it. I don't even know what number that is, all right? It's an enormous number. Uh, but Jesus uh, fulfilled over 300 prophecies uh, by his life. And so um, here's what I, I need you to see. Notice this, that, that it says, like, did you notice um, uh, God's got a problem? Like, Mary is great with child, but she's in Nazareth. But the prophecy says she's to be born in Bethlehem, which is 90 miles away. Uh-oh, right? And so what do you think, like, the God of the universe is like, God the Father is calling in the Holy Spirit. Spirit, get in here. We have a holy huddle. And uh, even bring Gabriel with you. we got to figure out how to get Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem, right? And uh, can I just tell you this? God, he is able to get you where you need to be when you need to be there. And so God's not sweating and wringing his hands about what's going to happen now, but rather uh, he just makes sure that there's going to be a registration uh, for taxes and it's going to get Joseph back to his hometown of Bethlehem because God is able to get you where you need to be when you need to be there. And did you, did you notice too that like all the historical data, like that, that as Luke is writing, he's letting us know it, Caesar Augustus uh, was in power. Quirinius was the governor of Syria. That, that these are actual cities of Nazareth and Bethlehem that, that we can see. See, it, the, the Bible doesn't read like some kind of myth. It's like way, way off in a land, far, far away, never, never land, right? It's not like that because the Bible is history, his story. God's story, like Jesus is the author and the finisher of this great story. And so, so God uh, is, is never going to be stuck. He's never going to be surprised because this is his story that he's writing and he will accomplish it the way he wills. And so uh, when God's people were in exile in Egypt, what does God do? Uh, God has an exodus and he sends 10 plagues, man, and splits the Red Sea. God just flexes. But his people, once again, were in exile in Babylon. And what does God do? He taps on the heart of King Cyrus, king of Persia, and he says, let my people go. And he lets God's people go, right? See, he is the author of this story. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, uh, it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. Like, like in the fullness of time that the birth of Jesus was at the perfect time, the right moment, and the right place. See, um, do you know, uh, 
Israel had been waiting for her Messiah. But but listen, like like Rome had to be in control because they would have what's known as Pax Romana, Roman peace. And now it's becoming safer and safer to travel. They had the Roman roadway. It, it opened up commerce and, and it, it, it shrunk the known world at that time. Much like our internet has done for us, that synagogues would be planted all around the known world. And Paul would use these as little preaching points, right? That, that when the moment the Son of Man came on the scene, Everything was ready uh, for this plot and for the gospel to go out and go forward because God is able to get you where you need to be when you need to be there in the fullness of time. So, fascinating story that uh, Westside Baptist Church, um, it exploded, right? It's a small church in Nebraska and it blew up one night, five minutes into choir practice. Uh, but surprisingly, the 15 choir members all survived the blast. You know why? Because they weren't there. All 15 of the choir uh, members uh, were late to choir practice. <laughs> and so get this, like uh, uh, one had car trouble. Uh, another uh, was busy ironing their daughter's dress. Uh, uh, another one uh, w- wasn't feeling well. Uh, another one was having a, a tr- trouble with something else. Like they all had these different things, uh, so they were all 15 minutes late and, and were saved from this horrific explosion, right? Probably just coincident. Or there's a God who's writing this story, a good and gracious God, who's able to get you to be where you need to be when you need to be there. In fact, I was um, this past week, I was, we were doing our weekly Bible study with the New York Jets, and, and we were kind of like parsing out, hey, what's the difference between arrogance and confidence. And you know, it's, uh, I always like to go to the etymology of words. And you know the word confidence, confidence, con is with, fidence, it means to trust. Uh, with trust is what it means. And you know, like I, I've been increasingly more and more because I know that there's a loving, sovereign God who's the author and the finisher of my story and your story. And that, that, that just knowing that has breathed so much confidence and peace into my life. Um, when, when you look around the world, it seems like it's a bit of a hot mess. But if you know that there's a God and this is his story he's writing, I promise you, it, it'll breathe confidence into your life. It'll build a life with trust. And so let's look at point number two is this. Hark, he's humble. Hark, he's humble. Let's read Luke uh, uh, verses two, uh, or, or chapter two, verses six and seven, it says this. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And so, uh, this is always so fascinating to me. Like, like, where is this great hero, this Christ, this Messiah who was to come? Where is he born? Did you say in a mansion? Oh, no, you said a manger? What? Like, like, like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Where is he going to arrive on the scene? Is it going to be Rome, Jerusalem, in a barn in Bethlehem? Are you kidding me? See, because here's what you need to know. He's humble. Like God is the humble God. Hark, he is the humble God. He's a humble king. Like, um, do you know the word we, we get for humble? It comes from the word humus. Uh, it, it means from the earth. 
And, and really, it's this, this beautiful tension. Do you know that, that you and I have as human beings that, that, that we are to we walk in humility because while you know you and I are worth infinite value, like we are the glory of God in the earth, we were worth the price of God's one and only Son. And so we are priceless as a people. But do you know what we also are? Is, is we are we're just made from the dust of the earth. And so there's this beautiful tension we have that we're priceless, and yet we always have to be grounded by the fact that at the end of the day, we're dirt without Almighty God. And here in this, in this beautiful tension that we see God, that Jesus, he's fully God and fully man. It's what theologians call the, the hypostatic union. He's 100% God, uh, and he's 100% uh, humanity. And so there's this beautiful tension in our God, while he's king of kings, He's also the humble king. And I think you would agree with me. Like, like humility, it's this unbelievably uh, attractive, attractive virtue for both God and people. Like we're drawn to it, aren't we? Like, like the, James will say this in James 4, verse 6. He says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Like that he opposes the proud. Uh, that word for oppose it means it means to be hostile towards. And so um, I'll illustrate it this way: is um, do you know in the National Hockey League, like you're allowed to fight? And did you know that there's an etiquette to fighting? <laughs> like like before you fight in a hockey fight, you need to look your opponent in the eye and you ask him, "You want to go?" And, and then they, they'll say, yeah, let's go. And then they drop the gloves and then they start fighting. In fact, the first time someone challenged me to a fight, he said, you want to go? And I thought he said, way to go. I said, thank you, and skated away. <laughs> My teammates are like, hey, man, he wanted to fight you. Oh, okay, got back out in the ice. Boop, 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 we did our thing, right? And so, like, there's an etiquette to fighting. And, and I say all that to say this. If you want to provoke God, you just move in pride. It's as if you, you've faced Almighty God and asked him, do you want to go? And that is a fight, my friend, you don't want to have because God opposes the proud. But here's the beautiful news. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble because humility is this attractive attribute for God and people. In fact, uh, there's a book called The Culture Code Code, written by uh, Dan Coyle. And uh, in it, he highlights a word I had never heard before. And that's this. He calls it a muscular humility a muscular humility, and he he talks about leaders, these great leaders that display muscular humility, and he highlights a man by the name of John Wooden. He was, was, for a time, he was the winningest coach uh, in NCAA history. He he won 10 national titles, and here you have this this, uh, unbelievably otherworldly coach, and yet you know what he would do? He would quite often could be seen cleaning up the dressing room trash and putting away and see, players would see that, and they're like, oh, I want to go to war with that guy. See, he, he's a humble king. Um, the, the other guy they, they give was Ray Kroc. He's the, the founder uh, of, of McDonald's, like the greatest fast food franchise ever known to man. And yet Ray Kroc would be known to go in uh, to his franchisees, and, and he would clean the bathrooms. And see, other people would see that and they'd go, man, that is a humble leader. That is muscular humility, and it's so attractive to people. And how much more that God becomes a man, humbles himself. He washes feet. He serves humanity and eventually humbles himself to the very point of death. See, Jesus is a humble, humble king, and it's so attractive
Like um, I was reading a book, Gentle and Lowly, and in the author in it, he highlights uh, Matthew uh, chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. And in this chapter, in this, these few verses, Jesus, it's the one place in the Bible that Jesus, he reveals his heart to us. Like he shows us what his heart is really like. And let me read it to you. It's, it's Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. Um, it's, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, and I am, get this, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Like, like in fact, the, the humility of Jesus is so attractive. You know, uh, uh, about a month back, uh, there was a new gentleman that, that came to our, our church, and you could tell he, he really hadn't been in church that often, and very rugged-looking man, and just kind of a, a scowl on his face. And I could tell, like, as I'm preaching this Sunday, you, you just see he's just, he's just got a poker face. He's not moving, not doing anything. And so I immediately went to him after service, and, and I, you know, he still wasn't, like, like letting me in a little bit until we, I asked if I could pray for him. And we prayed, and it's fascinating. I felt the Spirit of God bubble up uh, to, to my memory, Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. And I prayed for this man. I was like, sir, it feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. But Jesus wants you to know, man, that he, he, he is humble and lowly. And he, he encourages you, man, that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And man, when that man, he, we finished praying, his eyes had teared up and there was something broke on his life. And you know, he hasn't missed a Sunday since. Why? Because there's something attractive about the humble heart of our humble King, Jesus. Hark, he's humble. And number three is this, hark, he's mighty. Hark, he's mighty. And so let's, let's look at Luke chapter two, uh, verses eight through 14. We're going to see some angels come on the scene. It says this, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this, this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so we see uh, in this text, I don't know if you ever paid attention like when you're reading in your Bible, like, like every time an angel appears, the angel's got to follow up with, Hey, fear not! Fear not. <laughs> and, and that may seem strange to you because, you know, if we watch TV or maybe you watch It's a Wonderful Life and you see the angel as Clarence, you know, kind of this elderly, uh, elderly you know, decrepit man, uh, that's not an angel. Nor is it the, the little, uh, you know, fat babies in a diaper playing a harp. <laughs> like, yeah, I assure you this, though, if you were to see an angel, you would need a diaper. Because, man, angels, if you read about them, like in, in 2 Kings, like the angel of the Lord goes forth and one angel kills 186,000 uh, Assyrian soldiers. Like, like angels are, are um, just amazing, awesome uh, uh, the beings. And get this, um, when we read this, uh, it says that the sky cracks open. And did you, we, we read that the heavenly hosts began to sing. 
And, and for whatever reason in my mind, you know, I picture Charlie Brown and Snoopy, you know, singing, you know, glory to God in the highest or, or a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, pre, uh, pre-pubescent uh, choir boys, you know, with high-pitched voices. Glory to God in the highest, right? <laughs> like that's what I have in my head. Scratch that. See, when the sky cracks open and it says the heavenly host, see the heavenly host, host means an army. See, Christmas morning, the birth of our Savior, it, it was a landed invasion. See, it, the angels cracked open and they, they pound out these words, glory to God in the highest. See, that Jesus, the great king, had come. And he had come for one thing, and, and that is destruction. Let me read to you 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. John says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The coming of Jesus Christ, it was a landed invasion. Like, um, I'll illustrate it this way. We're we're all familiar with the story of of David and Goliath. And if you remember the story, it it was Israel and King Saul against the Philistines, and they would put out what they called their champion. That, that champion, it was the word be-nayum. Be-nayum. It means the one who stands between. And the Philistines put forth their be-nayum. And then Israel was supposed to put forth their be-nayum, their champion. And it was supposed to be tall. Uh, Saul, tall. But, but you need to know that Saul was supposed to be the tallest guy in Israel. And so it was supposed to be the Philistines' tall guy against Israel's tall guy. But guess what? King Saul, he chickened out. But the great news is this, there was another Benayum, and out of the background came a shepherd boy by the name of David who would destroy uh, their, their champion. And, and for the record, do you know humanity, that our first champion, Adam, failed miserably in the Garden of Eden? But the great news of the gospel in Genesis chapter 3 is this, that God promised, I, I will send forth a Benayum, a champion, one who will stand in between for you. He called it the seed of the woman will come and he will crush the serpent's head. And in fact, if we were to fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation, do you know uh, the book of Revelation, when you peel back and, and look into the spiritual dimension, the nativity scene, the birth of Christ looked very, very different in the spirit realm. Let me read to you Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. It says this, Uh, of Christmas morning. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns on his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Right, that's Christmas morning. Like like the battle had begun with the birth of Jesus Christ. Our champion had arrived on the scene. Do you know, uh, uh, back in 1898, uh, uh, the British, they were, they were trying to build a railroad si- uh, system through, uh, through Africa. 
1898, they were, they were building the section through Savo, Kenya. And, and as they were doing so, they had, to, they had to stop the construction of the railroad because uh, workmen kept disappearing in the night and they couldn't figure out why. Well, later they would find out why. Because two man-eating lions had systematically each and every night been, been devouring uh, workers on that railway. And so they actually gave them a name. The, they, they named them Ghost and Darkness. And these man-eating lions in, this, in a span of nine months would kill 135 men until one man, his name is John Patterson, said enough. And he went on the offensive and he set a trap for these lions. And he put, put out uh, some goat's blood and a goat. And then John Patterson ascended up into a tree. The lions came in. Uh, they thought would be just for another easy kill. But they were sorely, sorely mistaken. Uh, because what they thought was, was uh, a quick victory would become their imminent uh, defeat. As John Patterson would, would kill systematically each of these two uh, lions and rescue uh, people. And in the same way, do you know the Bible says this, that your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. But one man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, humbled himself and came to earth. He too ascended to a tree. He was hung on a cross. And hanging on that cross, the devil, uh, the, the roaring lion, thought he had an opportunity, another easy kill. But what they didn't know, that Jesus, through death, would destroy death once and for all. See, because he is mighty. Hark, he is a mighty God. And then our fourth and last point is this. Hark, he's saving. He's saving. Let's read with, uh, with me Luke chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, we'll end our text with this. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You need to highlight that. Which the Lord has made known unto us. And so I, I want you to know, hark, he's saving. God is a God who saves. Uh, did you see in our text the shepherds weren't looking for God. God found those shepherds. It's a, it's a theological term they call illumination. It, it's things that we were blind to, suddenly we can see through the gift of illumination. Um, I, I can show you time and time again throughout the scripture. Like, like later on uh, in the Christmas story, we'll read about the Magi. Remember the, the wise men that come and, and they see Jesus, who at this time is a two-year-old baby. And it says this, they throw riches at his feet and they begin to bow down and worship. Now, I've seen a lot of two-year-olds. There's not one of them I've ever wanted to worship before. What? But what the gift of illumination knew that he was the king of Israel. Uh, that, that Jesus, as he's hanging on a cross, he's not even recognizable as a human being. But one thief with the gift of illumination says this, Master, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Right? What in that moment would make that guy think that surely he's the king, God come in the flesh, right? The gift of illumination to see what at one time they couldn't see. See, so what happens is now, you know, you and I, we herald the good news of Jesus and God illuminates over and over because hark, he is a God who saves. And uh, I'll end our time like this. 
Um, I want to share with you the, the story. I heard the coolest story. Like, like I, I'm so glad. I've been married for 33 years, and it's a good thing because I would be horrible on the dating scene. You know, just don't have any moves or that kind of stuff. And uh, But I heard the great story of this young man who wanted to ask a, a girl out. He uh, was a college kid, and, and uh, he, man, he had his eye on this one uh, a college girl. And, and she actually drove the, the university bus. You know, it would go from stop to stop at, at different campus points. And, and so this, this dude went to work. He rolled up his sleeves. He found out that girl's bus route. And then he gathered together his posse. And, and he, he, he highlighted every stop on her stop. And then he assigned each of his friends. They had to go to that bus stop. And so when the girl went to the bus stop, boop, she opens the bus door and she looks. And there's one of his buddies with a giant sign, Jenny. And then she's like, that's weird. That's my name. And then they close the door, goes to the next stop. Another guy, she opens the door, boop. Will you? Uh-oh, what's that about, you know? And then so she drives to the next stop, opens the door, boop, go with me. What? Now everybody in the bus is involved. They're, in, they're invested, right? And so everyone wants to see what's going to be at the next stop. Will you go with me on a date was the next sign. And then uh, at the last stop, there was the young man uh, with flowers, right? And, and he was ready. Like, dude, that, is, that dude's got game. Man, that is so smooth. But, but I can't help but think this. You know, I felt this throughout the entire week is that there's some of you, this is the last stop. Like there's been all these tokens and these signs in your life that God has been leading you to this moment. And God's, God's inviting you to make a commitment to him, to no longer just kind of do your own thing, but, but take this as a word from the Lord that God is wanting you to take a step today, to take a step and commit to him. And if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I, I want to pray for you this morning. And so if that's you, man, you can just bow your head or, and, and just, just either listen to my prayer and say amen, which means so be it, or you can repeat after me. But it's a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins and raising from the dead. I choose now to bow my knee to you as my Savior and my Lord. Come into my heart and be my great and glorious King. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> amen, every nation. Well, listen, God bless you. You know, our, our sermon's over, but we're not quite finished. Uh, I need to remind you that you can be faithful in your tithing and your giving. And for those of you that have been uh, just so generous in, in giving to our ministry, I just can I just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And, uh, and remind you that there's three ways you can give. You can go to our website, encnj.org, and just hit the giving icon. Uh, or you can give via text if you just text the letters ENCNJ to the number 77977. Uh, it's a very convenient way to give. My family and I give that way. Uh, or you can mail in your check or money order right here to our offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive, right here in Morris Plains, New Jersey. And may God richly bless you and provide for you as you're faithful to honor him uh, with your finances. Every nation, Jesus loves you, and I think you're pretty great. Hark the herald, angels sing. Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. For more information on our church, or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website, emcnj.org.